Logan, and thanks for listening today. This is Stepping Into Freedom, the podcast about standing fast in the liberty wherewith we have been made free from Alma 5840 in the Book of Mormon. So this one's actually being recorded a few weeks after um, Bridget's in episode 10. This one's a special bonus episode. Um, Colette and I are here. We're just going to be providing just our own thoughts and feelings about a subject that we have both found such spiritual joy and wonder in as well as we've experienced both of us the the dark side of what we'll be talking about today as well um this one's going to be a bonus about the law of chastity about sexual purity about human connection hopefully the 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 goal with this is going to be to give all you listeners out there kind of a it's a summary of both sides of what we've experienced, um, what we have come to know for now, now <laughs> since our sealing in, in Pace and, and the temple on May 22nd, we've been able to see both sides of what lack of healthy human connection is like and the darkness that surrounds that, as well as the, the holy and beautiful side of having proper human connections, especially between husband and wife, and the benefits of waiting for that blessing of healthy connection and uh, human sexuality. So with that being said, um, here we go. So to begin, um, Colette and I are both going to give some of our perspective about what the law of chastity, what, like, just kind of brass tacks, what it is. What are your beginning thoughts, hon? Well, for me, um, this is a, a subject that kind of gets glossed over in mutual or youth programs you get like one hour's lesson here and there <laughs> um, and you're like okay so I don't do those things so what does those things mean? Um, <laughs> like, it's like what do I do? And then say, what do I not do? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> like for instance that you were you and I discussed earlier about petting like I like to pet dogs. Does that is that the same thing? <laughs> and not, no, it's not the same thing in a sexual relation. It's you know, putting your hands where they shouldn't go. <laughs> there's there's truth in keeping your hands to yourself <laughs> until you're married. Um, <laughs> um, and you know stuff like that, and just really focusing on your identity and who you are as, as a son and daughter of God first and then identifying well this is why you don't do A, B, and C or A through Z with someone of the opposite sex or even the same sex or yourself or yourself yes um, because you are so worth it to not God didn't create you to to handle your, yourself or others in, inappropriately he meant for us to come down and show charity and love and compassion and serve others. And in so doing, we're able to keep our mind focused on Christ. Oh, man. Do you see why I needed her on here? <laughs> so, um, and this is, the, the, from my end of it, kind of the Asperger's, you know, I go into, I guess my mind goes more to the logistical side of things. You know, no sexual relations outside of marriage, um, as Colette so beautifully summarized better than me. Um, I, I, funny, interesting, I had a state president once, actually, who was very specific 
interestingly enough, in how he summarized it, he's he made like talked about all these different types of sex, and in my teenage brain, I'm like, wait, I'd never heard of half of those. What? <laughs> he was very thorough. He's like, no wet sex, no dry sex, oral, vaginal, manual. Like, I'm just wait, th- those are things, really? So I thought that was kind of weird, but so um, something else I want to include here um, with this is a part of a talk by Marky Peterson. Um, that actually kind of, you know, Colette had mentioned, part of what the, the clip I want to play here is kind of goes off of what Colette mentioned about what, what petting is. He talks about more than that, but um, I'm going to kind of just, I'm going to play this section because it summarizes that part of it a little better than me. So you see, the sanctity of the body is so related to the sanctity of sex. Why make the body common? Why expose this sacred thing, which is the temple of God, to the public eye? I tell you, girls, when you expose your bodies, whether on the dance floor or otherwise, you do yourselves a great injustice. And you likewise do your boyfriends an injury. I wish you girls could sit behind a curtain sometimes when we have private interviews with boys. And these boys really express themselves man to man about how they feel about the immodesty of dress. I have talked to many of these boys. Some of them have told me that their moral downfall began in that way. They were tempted right on the dance floor just by what they could see, by what was not properly covered up. And then he carries it farther after he breaks down this modesty. Then he moves into such things as petting parties. Would you mind if I speak frankly about petting parties? You're all grown up. I'd like to tell you frankly and exactly what I think about petting parties. A girl, a lovely girl, came into my office within the week and said, I wish you would tell me what the church thinks about petting. I said, do you pet? Yes, I do. And that's why I'm wondering about it. And sometimes we pet rather heavily. Well, of course, I had a pretty good idea of what she meant by heavy petting. Others have told me what they go through when they pet especially heavily. When you pet, what do you do? I know there's necking and I know there's kissing. But in this heavy petting, you expose your bodies to the other fellow, don't you, boy or girl? So many of our lovely girls allow boys to handle their bodies during that petting party and even encourage it sometimes 
and occasionally the girls handle the bodies of the boys. What goes on in your mind in a process of that kind? Is there anything virtuous or lovely or of good report or praiseworthy about what you are doing in a case of that kind? The Savior, one time, I believe in his Sermon on the Mount, said this, He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Think that over in terms of petting. Then again in modern revelation, he said, He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her shall deny the faith and shall not have the spirit and if he repenteth not he shall be cast out think of that oh think think of that in terms of a petting party when you are doing your heavy petting is there anything except lust in your mind he that looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Savior didn't say that you would actually have to participate in the sexual embrace. He said, He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her. But the man who not only looketh upon her, but handles her as well, Does he lust after her? So, as in part of that, you can also tell quite clearly that he's talking about, you know, what you can see, which includes pornography. Um, I also kind of, I also like, like to include, I'm not, I don't recall for, for sure you know, what the church's policy is on this, but I personally would also include sexual jokes or even just lewd conversation because that invites, you know, lusting after someone in their heart. Um, also, please keep in mind that w- just like, like Colette was saying at the beginning, it's not just a matter of what don't you know what not to do. There's also a matter of what to do, right? And wanting those things that are sensual and sexual with the opposite sex is natural and good, as Elder Peterson says in the beginning of his talk, which we'll play later. Um, but because it is so holy, um, because sex is so holy, there needs to be high guards and standards surrounding such a holy thing. So. Um, the next thing we'll kind of go over here is more of the reasons why, um, uh, from our experience, you know, why I, it's been such a, a contrast and experience for both of us and um, seeing both the light and the dark side of things with, you know, just how horrible and awful um, sexual impurity can just wreak havoc with your life. Um, but the other side of things as well. So um, do you want to go ahead and talk about your side of experience? And <laughs> So growing up, you could say I was pretty innocent. Um, didn't know much of anything in the, in the sense of the sexual world. Um, grew up in a family where you didn't talk about it. Heck, we didn't talk about emotions other than anger and hunger. Um, <laughs> and maybe happiness occasionally. But... Um, at least within my immediate family, um, my 
bless my mom's buttons, but she was not one to express her feelings very well, other than hot or cold with her, her love. Either it was there and you could feel it, but it was with conditions and strings, or it was cold and it wasn't there at all. So it was really hard as a kid to know what what's what. Um, and in a small community where even within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints not being very open about other than what's oh, check the handbook out for what <laughs> is allowed, what's not allowed I'm like, well yeah, that's like a paragraph that doesn't help me um, and so when people took advantage of my innocence and did so at the expense of my joy and ultimately ultimately my identity and my connection with Jesus Christ I didn't know any different because I didn't know what they were doing was wrong because I didn't know what it was until I got to college where my mom had me take a courtship and marriage class and then my freshman year and then my uh, about my first semester up at Utah State I took a human sexuality class for my undergrad and as a result um, of those and then occasional talks in between those and a little bit before finally getting the birds and the bees talk from my sister that was weird I remember you mentioning that our first few weeks of dating. I'm like, wow. Yeah, because, like I said, my parents are kind of closed-lipped about that. Um, and I, I slept through a lot of the, of their shenanigans. So I didn't know that that still occurred. Um, but I have since learned from my sister that that is a thing. but Or was a thing, I'm not sure. Anyway, anyways, in, in realizing what had occurred in in my childhood with the sexual, emotional, spiritual, physical abuse that I endured because I thought if I did that I would be loved and that I'd be wanted, I'd be seen, but really I I wasn't. I had to bear this cross in silence because no one believed what I was going through or what my sister experienced herself. And that's her story to tell, but I know that I, I realized that we weren't, I wasn't, if I was going through it, it was bound to happen that she was too, because, you know, we were in a small community and you don't tell on people you're related to. Um, but I should have. And I know that the Lord is the best defense attorney now, so he will make sure that that is taken care of. So I don't need to run their names through the mud. That's not my place. I know that through the Lord I am taking the steps necessary for healing in that. But the real main thing is to make sure that it, it doesn't happen to others. So be open with your family. Be open with your kids. What what is, what's not. 
appropriate touch with your friends, with your relatives, um, with your creepy neighbor next door or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Figuratively speaking. I, um, and just understanding that the philosophy I grew up on where it was you only hurt the ones you love is totally false and more damaging than it does good. And I look forward with Paul to break that habit and that chain of events so that our kids don't have that experience too. Even even if I have to, even if we have to stand up to those people in my life that are now part of his life. (laughs) Um, And just, you don't have to make it complicated and you don't have to sugarcoat it by saying the birds and the bees or the flowers and the pollen and blah 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 just be call it as it is mm-hmm. penis vagina the whole thing just and but do it in a manner that doesn't shock your kids uh system mm-hmm. but uh, do yeah. it in a place that honors them but also honors god but do it prayerfully and later on we're going to be talking about um um the the value of actually you know, using correct terms and not make that there's a part we're going to be addressing later that that uh, kind of mentions not making just just, uh, you know, quote, unquote, the talk, right? Making a series of talks so that your kids can be and, and your friends and family, whatever else is, can actually be comfortable having several conversations that they can just bring it up any old time. That's, it won't be a matter of, oh, well, we've had the talk. How do I get back there? How do I not make it awkward? Like we're going to have some things later on that kind of go over that. So to hopefully make it easier. So. Yeah, keep listening for that. But. Definitely, son. That's super important. And in my experience in, in through therapy and uh, even energy healing, I've been able to address these situations and be able to clear the energies that or the feelings and emotions and the negativity that's been buried because of what I had to go through or got to go through because of other people's agency and I was acted upon rather than acting for myself Uh, but I wasn't in a position as a kid to act for myself and I truly believe in the empowering of children to be able to act for themselves even if in a situation where it's the adult that's the aggressor Um, but trusting also in the atonement to work in my life and the lives of others and in the lives of those who 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 will be held accountable for their actions in, in my life and in others. Um, and I believe in the, the power of taking the Lord's hand and that His grace is sufficient to save no matter where we're at, no matter how far gone we may feel. Um, in understanding my what intimacy and sex and um, love really was, I mean, even in our dating adventures, understanding how I felt for Paul was a huge and kind of a rocky situation in the first little bit because I'm like, I know I want to be with you and no one else, but I don't know if that's love. Because, I, w- I mean, I was shown, like, fatherly love and other kinds of love, but, like, relationship between a man and a woman kind of love, I don't, other than my grandparents. As much as I love my parents, I I didn't know what that looked like. And with my grandparents, it was serving. So I knew how to do that, check. 
but like and kissing each other and being <laughs> cute and teasing um i saw that with my grandparents like that that made sense but like well how'd they get there i don't know but like i'm grateful for the lord for helping me to and and lorraine's and his first wife has been so kind and the lord's been so kind to allow me to talk to her as a girl to a girl um what? which i am super grateful for <laughs> <laughs> yes um and just just talking to her spirit um having permission from the lord i'm not no woo woo here but it's just lord can i talk to her yes and then i talk to her and just express my feelings and just and then pause and and kind of feel and sometimes feel like i'm hearing her voice um express her side of things and just helping me understand that one i was overthinking things but that's <laughs> that's how i that's how i roll i tend to overthink things and then have to backtrack but um but understanding what love was and understanding what intimacy was what sex actually is and that it could be a good thing and not a gross thing or that thing that you go ew gross <laughs> stop it you know like as a total kid you did especially when your parents kissed Blah. but um <laughs> and now i'm like whatever it's like <laughs> yes please <laughs> yes <laughs> but really now understanding one who i am and paul understanding who he is and all y'all understanding who you are as daughters and sons of god is the, is super important and then as you know who you are then you will more likely be able to be in tune with the spirit so when people who are acting on you rather than you acting for yourself then you can have the spirit to direct this isn't a good situation i need out and then have the spirit to help you to know who to talk to because that was a big thing for me and knowing who to talk to about what was going on and how I was feeling. So understanding who we are was a big or who I was was a big deal for me in making those steps to to help the abuse stop and to stand up for who I was. Um during that time of abuse it was it was like I was locked in a in a pit or this dark room where I couldn't get out that I had lost all my freedom and it was in high school that I realized started making the shifts and making that connection with Jesus again and through prayer finally praying <laughs> I had forgotten to pray during the the years that previous because I had I'd lost my spitfire and that zealousness that I had when I was little and like for example, when I was three, standing up on the pew at church going, I will not be quiet. I am a child of God, as my sister <laughs> loves to remind me all the time. That I, I just had that zeal. Like, I knew who God was. I knew I knew that the Lord was there. And when I was eight, standing up for myself and for the kids that were being bullied, that when you have the Holy Ghost, you will know that this isn't right. And just stuff like that. And then some... And the abuse started escalating and 
the weight came on and I ate my emotions in Fruit Loops and anything that I could shove down my face and I lost myself and didn't have any connection to family or friends um, especially once Adele, my sister, moved out and moved away to college I was alone in many ways hell because with my mom's mental stability, instability, not entirely sure where that's at, it's not official, but it, it, a lot of the non-sexual abuse came from her, but it was still darkness, it still added to knowing who I was and where I belonged, and it spilled into the school and my confidence in who I was. And so finding Jesus again in high school was super monumental to me. And it flipped a switch and it was like, I didn't care what my mom said or the other abusers said, I wanted nothing to do with him because I found Jesus again. And I was going on a mission. My patriarchal blessing said so. And <laughs> when the my seminary t- teacher said that President Hinckley said that that the you know age was being switched to nineteen for girls. I was like, yes, I get to leave right after graduation. Woohoo! And then found out he was he was totally pulling my chain, and I was quite devastated. So when that actually happened, it's like, what now? Really? Yeah, right. It was <laughs> totally like lame. I could have gone early, but I'm grateful I went when I did for my mission. The people I met in South Dakota and North Dakota, and even Nebraska for the the time I was there changed my life. I will always be eternally grateful to them. So if, if you're a listener of this, I love you. I miss you. I hope the Lord opens a way that I can come see you again and love on you as you loved on me when I was there as a lost 21-year-old unsure of life. But all I knew was I loved Jesus and I wanted to share that with everyone. Um. Anyway, so finding out that finding out that connection with Jesus again in high school and finding out that I wasn't I didn't have to be alone even if I was still in a situation that I was still alone I wasn't alone I was being protected there was angels all around me finally figured out that there was a connection to the the other side of the veil my dreams ramped up about end of the world and how every one of them since then have been not being with my mom because she wasn't ready and it was always my dad and my sister and I heading off to the temple at the end of the dream every time after a natural disaster whether it's fire or flood or earthquake like I had a ball but every time my mom's looking for my dad and I'm trying to get her to come tell her that dad's at the temple every time and then her not be at the end and I hope I hope and pray that one day she will find peace and through the atonement be made whole. I love her so much and I don't care what she's done. I I still want to be with her in eternities. Um, and I would love it if those who were my other abusers were there too. But that's up to the Lord. Um, also in finding out my true self and through the atonement. Um... I had to figure out where I stood with the Lord, with what I'd gone through, whether or not I was 
pure enough for an eternal companion that I, I felt like I had to see whatever I had left. That So no kissing, <laughs> none of that, because that's all I had left, because everything else felt like damaged goods. <laughs> but the Lord has helped me understand that I, I wasn't damaged goods and that I was still pure before him. And so I was pure before the Lord, which meant I was pure with with Paul, that he wasn't getting damaged goods, and that he was going to love me regardless of what I had gone through, and maybe more so because it had made me a better woman. Um, so no matter what you've been through, the Lord can make more out of you than you can make out of yourself. So put your trust in him. I know that I have done that and I've seen him mold me into a woman I I didn't know I could become because of what I'd been through. And to be loved by Paul has been amazing. To enter into those covenants and feel love that is sweeter and richer because I saved myself and made sure I was right before the Lord. Um, and even if I hadn't saved myself, I know that the atonement would have worked in my life to make me pure, to make up for my choices or the choices of others. And I know that that, that has been the case for me. And because of that, those choices and to follow the Lord and through the atonement, I could be ready to make that covenant with Paul and how our connection and our communication has been so much deeper because of of what we've been through. Yeah. And that communication is also going to be part of um, our discussion later, is being able to talk freely, vulnerable, you know, be completely fearless about like nothing hidden, even today. I don't remember what exactly it was, but you were <laughs> you, you were saying something like, oh, no, no, no secrets. We're going to talk about how I feel right now. I'm like, oh, good. Please do. I don't care how good or bad it is. Let, yeah. Let's do that. Let's be vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. So. And being open and honest, even if it even if it hurts, it's better to pull off the Band-Aid clean, or clean it out with hydrogen peroxide, whatever, and then put the Band-Aid on and let it heal. It's like than- one of our favorite lines from, what was it, The Wrinkle in Time? Like one of Clint and I, this the, one of our favorite movies, A Wrinkle in Time, where she's which which lady was it that said the wound is the place where the light enters you? Uh, Mrs. What's it? Yes, I think that the one who has spoken quotes alone, right? Oh, Mrs. Who? Yeah, Mrs. Who. Thank you. That's it. I was, I was like, you know, because that's that's exactly what it is, you know. Yeah, where the light is able to enter in the wounds, being Christ is able to enter into where those wounds are and heal them, if you let him. I know that he's done that for me, and I know that he's done that for Paul. Um, and I, I, I've seen other people experience both sides of waiting, not waiting, um, experiencing the gamut of, of sexual things and seeing some of their countenance fall and others fall, but then be lifted because they turned to Christ and were, were made whole. It's not my place to judge, it's the Lord's. And I I know that if we've ex- experienced the, the going down the path that 
maybe not have been as wise as we may have thought in the moment, the Lord can get us back to where we need to be. Um, and it's not our place to judge if people have fallen. It's our place to love, to serve, and to show them who Christ is by what we do, but also what we say. Um, enable them to pull out of it. Yeah. And and be there, be there be, as a support of love and and not judgment, because that is the biggest turnaround of people who have gone off gone astray is they either feel like they have no place so they carry on down that path because they feel like they're not loved or wanted or appreciated or seen or heard or valued in their home but if you take those steps as I hope to do with those in my life that they will find the peace and solace that the Lord offers to those who are, are willing to take his hand yeah, and well, we're also going to have more. There's a video we're going to be playing uh, the audio for it here um, as part of episode two. Um, it's a TED talk by Johan Hari about you know the the phrase he uses in it is you know singing love songs to addicts in our life instead of war songs about them. You know, you know, presenting truth in their lives, you know, showing love and, and mercy, no judgment, but also doing it in a way that is truthful and introduces you know, divine light into their lives instead of just, oh, I love you no matter what, so do whatever you're going to do. No, 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 no. I love you no matter what, so I'm going to help you out of this. Anyways, um, from my side of things, um, uh, for those of you who have not heard episode 40 of season one, you can get uh, parts of this on there as well. But uh, similar to Colette, I grew up in a town where there was the talk and that was it and uh it was kind of weird and uh because my it was like when my parents did that with me it was honestly i kind of felt weird because i'm like wait a minute they're laughing and getting more red faced than i am what's going on here <laughs> it was so weird right and oh my gosh and so after that i'm like okay that's it I guess if mom and dad can't handle this, if they're going to get all weird emotionally about it, how the heck am I going to talk to anybody about this? If, if you know, So I don't know what to do. And um, my, I guess, journey with it started when I had some, like Colette, I had some family visiting. And uh, I mean, I wasn't abused by family in that way at all. Um, but there was a, a magazine I went to, I was curious, you know, my little eight-year-old brain, uh, saw this, uh, what was it, People or Glamour magazine, something like that, I don't remember. Was it not, wasn't one of those like specifically like porno magazines, but uh, I saw it in the, the this trailer they had brought with them, and my one of my cousins, I had I had said something like, that's bad, she should, she should have more clothes on, and he's like, and, I mean, they were from, you know, the beach area, and so they're just, he, you know, they were used to seeing that kind of thing, he's like, dude, it's just a swimsuit, relax, and my eight-year-old brain wheel started turning, I'm like, oh, really? And uh, you can kind of guess where that went. Um, took me down a road that, thanks to the Lord's influence in my life, after 20 years, 20 whole years of going back and forth between addiction and being morally clean over and over again, um, just like Colette said, it, the, the healing effect that can happen through Christ's atonement, now that I've... You know, I'm finally to the point now where 
you know, I, I feel healed. I feel forgiven. Um, there is a darkness to be seen in, um, in suffering from addictive thought patterns and behaviors for that long. There's only one way out of it, no matter how long you've been in it, and that is through Jesus Christ, through His atonement. Um, I am so grateful. I'm going to just briefly here thank, for, if you're listening, um, Bishops Colin Bites, um, Jason Julian, and Dave Oswald. When I was up in Canada, they were, I needed their perspective so badly. They were doing just what Colette said. They were kind. They were supportive. They did not judge. Um, I mean, even as ordained judges, they weren't judgmental towards me. Um, they were serious. I remember especially Bishop Oswald, who was like, you know, you're you're doing a little better now. Your your slips are coming fewer and farther between. But because of that, I expect more from you. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He's like, so the next time, if if you fall again, if you slip again, I'm telling you now, I'm going to be disappointed in you. And at, at that point, thankfully, mentally, I was in the spot where I could say, you know what? I hope you would be, because I will be too, if that happens again. And he's like, but just don't forget, Christ is there. He can heal you no matter how many times you've fallen. So, I mean, that's a very, very, very brief version of 20 years um, talking about that, but, um, it has been such a relief to now have seen the deep darkness of what, what it looks like to not have any ability to act for myself at times, as, you know, Colette mentioned, but I feel like I, I was being acted upon by my surroundings, um, having been to places where I had basically given up all ability to maintain self-control and triggers would come up. Um, even the smallest things, even appropriate, like there was a, a time where Lorraine and I were um, serving as church service missionaries for LDS Tech, and she was tagging pictures on the church website, and uh, there was this one lady who had written into the, uh, the church website and had complained because they had put this picture on there. Honestly, it was completely innocent. Relative to church centers, it was it was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It was, but from behind this lady who had, she was totally fully clothed, not a not a scrap of inappropriate skin showing. Um, she had uh, what was it, jogging pants or something like that on, and it was just a picture of, of her from, I think like, just above the waist down to the ground and kind of focusing on the road. And she was running. It was a running picture, like an exercising thing. And this lady wrote in with this, complaining about this picture saying it was a trigger to her porn-addicted husband. And Lorraine was like, really? So she asked me, because you know, he, he would know, right? She, she's asked, is this really a trigger? I'm like, yes. She goes, why? I'm like, because it's skin tight. She's covered up completely. Yes, I know. But she's skin tight, and that's all it takes for some people who have been down dark enough. And she's like, really? Yes. <laughs> like it, it, it gets to the point where even the smallest, even appropriate things can turn into triggers. Um which is one more reason why you have to have Christ pull you out of it. You have to partner with him. There's no other way out of it. There's just not. I don't care how many, you know, professionals or, I mean, professionals are helpful, but I don't care how many of them you go to, how many scientific, you know, approaches you take to shifting your brain and taking advantage of what scientists are now calling neuroplasticity. That helps too, but 
you want to get out of it, you have to partner with Christ. You just have to. Um, so moving on uh, to the next part of this, um, I'm hoping we'll help out a lot of people with um, ways to combat this. Because, I mean, we've gone so much over how it's affected Colette and I and, and um, downfalls of sexual impurity and the benefits of being sexually pure. But next part, we're going to go over... Um, just how Satan tries to exploit human sexuality. Why? Uh, through the media, through news, through fitness, through food, through other industries. You know, I've always hated terms like earth porn, art porn, food porn. Like, okay, we, we don't need satur- society more saturated by hypersexuality. Thank you very much. You know, he can use memories against us. He, can, you know, he wants to make sex so common slash no big deal. Um, so as to minimize how carefully it needs to be protected. Right, like uh, even in the commercials that we um, we see on TV now, they've, I mean, cereal's gone from a kid thing to let's make this sexy as she's wearing inappropriate <sighs> clothes and eating that mouthful of probably not cereal because <sighs> the milk is not that white <laughs> or that thick. Or um, or commercials for clothes or perfume. Oh my gosh, perfume does not need to be sexy. It's just it's just a smell. For seriousness. Reminds me actually of what's that? Oh, I forget where that quote I heard it from. I think it was this book somebody on my mission gave me. It said, "Flattery is like cologne water to be smelt, not swallowed." <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> so like just being mindful that I mean it's. In the, on a note with the media and the in the movies and stuff, like I had friends, well, quote unquote friends. I still consider them friends, but they're just a little misguided. But um, trying to show, like my senior in high school, trying to show me the sexual innuendos or the commentary in Disney movies and how sex is porn are spelled out in the the leafy things in Lion King and the how Aladdin tells Jasmine to take her clothes off at one of the scenes like pointing these out and just going slow-mo so you pick it up and I'm like seriously and then there's like the going out of their way to point that out right, it's like, or the lewd comments in some of the movies yeah. that are adult humor quote-unquote yeah it's like that part in uh, uh was it Aladdin where genies were yeah he's like wait a minute I thought this wasn't supposed to shake till the honeymoon it's like what, wait, what really did that need to be in there yeah like kids don't need the kids don't get it but it makes the adults chuckle but then and the kids want to know what's so funny and right and they're uh, like no no never mind or they won't explain it all and they're like i don't get it mom and dad laughed here but it's really not that funny but and then at the same time you wonder if they're laughing because they connect to it or they or they're laughing because it's awkward to them because it it triggered something mm-hmm yeah, it's just crazy. Like, there's so much that, that Satan has just taken advantage of in such a wrong way. But uh, this clip um, is uh, one that I had mentioned a little bit ago uh, earlier in this in this podcast episode, um, where Mark E. Peterson, Elder Peterson, talks. This is more towards the beginning of the talk that we played earlier, um, where he talks about um, why Satan tries so hard to exploit it, and then we're kind of going to go into how to combat that. Um, after you go through some more of this, but um, here it is. When he created man, 
he made man, male and female. God made sex, and he pronounced it good. And in the case of humankind, he pronounced it very good. Sex was sacred. It was holy. Actually, it was divine. Therefore, he pronounced it very good. Sex is so sacred, so divine. Sex is so holy that when it is used in its proper way, those who participate become joint creators with God. They become partners with the Almighty in the great undertaking and enterprise of bringing forth life. It is so sacred. It is so holy. God places it way up on a high plane. So high that all right-thinking people will regard it as being sacred. A spark of the deity in every one of us. It is holy. It is part of the function of Almighty God. Sex is so sacred, so holy, that God placed about it some of the greatest safeguards he has ever made for any of his creations. And he has surrounded it with laws which provide those safeguards. And he has made it clear to us that if we violate those laws, if we break down those safeguards, we commit one of the three greatest crimes in all the category of crime. And that is one more reason of many why we are even doing this is because of how hard, therefore, Satan tries to use every last possible means he can to make such a holy bond between husband and wife something that can just be had between anyone, anytime you want, any way you want. It's like, (laughs) I don't know, I hope this doesn't seem too crass, but it's like he just wants to do the whole burger, you know, welcome to Burger King, have it your way. It's like, no, how about the Lord's way? Um... And one more part of this, too, is I wanted to mention before we go on is why um, masturbation is wrong. Um, basically, you're just cheat. You're cheating on your spouse or future spouse with yourself. You know. So any thoughts you have about that? Anyone had? So whether you're, you're touching yourself inappropriately or allowing um, others to do that, in this case, masturbation. It would be to yourself. Um, it, in my opinion, it's it's violating God's trust He has in you. Um, and 
God will not be mocked. Chastity and purity are so vital. Um, messing with the power to procreate or your parts that are used for procreation in that way. Um, it, it causes a disconnect from the Lord and can create a, a ripple effect or a, a downward spiral or a domino effect if you're not careful. Um, just like with other things that the Lord has commanded us because our bodies are temples, this is just another way that Satan uses for us to violate our temple, our bodies that God has given us for our benefit. Um, to, that we might progress and return to him. Masturbation or any of the these tools that Satan gives us gives us a false sense of what's real, what's not, what could be. Um, and I know in my experience with, even with Paul and his, because of what he's been through, has caused a lot of fun conversations and ex <laughs> and what he expects and what is actual reality now that he's able to do it in a more sacred manner with me um you know causing a reflection on what what could be what is what expectations are what's supposed to feel natural what's not supposed to feel natural yeah and yeah. um if you follow the tools that Satan has given or tries to put upon us um, in leading us down a path that's contrary to the Lord's will, um, it it can lead to a, a momentary release of all the fun hormones and dopamine and everything, but it it's only momentary. It's this... A minor version of it would be you getting a cheeseburger from McDonald's just to satiate that hunger, and then you're like, why did I do that? I should have had a salad or something better for me because I don't feel full. You were actually saying that was it yesterday, something you wanted to eat, and I, and you were, I don't remember what you said, but you're like, I thought that would help me feel better, and it totally didn't. I'm like... Oh, I, I had ice cream. <laughs> ice cream bar and and you were feeling crappier I don't remember what that was about but, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was eating it out of emotions and thinking that it would make me feel better I don't remember what I, why I was yeah, yeah. feeling crappy but I, I thought it would make me feel better but it did it hit the spot in the moment that it was still in my mouth but once it was not in my mouth it, it did me no good and that can be related to masturbation it, it feels good in that moment as long as it it, it lasts, but then you're, you're always searching for a, a more of again, a, a again, hit. Again, 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 yeah, yeah. Hit. Same with drugs, with sugar, with especially with sugar. Oh my god, <laughs> I am struggling with that little thing called sugar in all of its formats. Because, side note, sugar is way more addictive than cocaine and it's a lot harder to overcome. I am experiencing that right now. <laughs> I love sugar, I love it in all of its formats. Um, and so does Paul and we enjoy our little sweet treats and we need to work on that but uh, that's actually been kind of a fun thing um, we'll kind of get on with that in a second but uh, something that I've found even we'll talk about more too in this about 
healthy connections. Um, like part of the connection Colette and I have have been so blessed with is that we've been able to identify things sexually and otherwise that, oh, wait a minute, how can we make this bond more healthy between us? How can we take better care of ourselves? And there's some changes we've been starting to make in several different areas of you know, our personal journeys within our marriage that just, it's like, oh, wait, hey, this is going to be good once we get started at it, you know? And it's it's really just a, such a great feeling to have, you know, more healthy things that satisfy, you know, you as a person way more than just carnal urges will ever do. Like that, what's that? S-M-I-L-E, smile, to be spiritually minded is life eternal. So. Yeah, and just making sure that you have those healthy connections. Healthy connections are the first thing to go when you have any sort of addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be addressed again more later in the, in the TED Talk we're going to play in uh, during this episode. So, um, And then to kind of transition to the next part here, uh, there's a, a actually funny thing, part of episode, the, the episode 31, um, where we talk about the same subject, about sexual purity, uh, there's a commentary I want to play here from the, one of the guys who's in that episode, Oakland Davidson. Um gives fantastic insight as to you know, why there's so much better things to look forward to than masturbation, you know, touching yourself in or out of marriage. So here's that. <laughs> feels like many times I've been hijacked. Um, and it, it's interesting bringing in a little bit previously, you had mentioned not waiting till you hit rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. And, and something I would, I would add to that is because what at what cost is this is this gonna gonna help you like there was a, at one of the peaks of my struggles I was ready to leave my wife and my kid and and leave the country and go to California this is a pipe dream of well, I don't know if pipe dreams right word but it was it was this idea that my family was holding me back from actually feeling fulfillment and quite honestly human nature will go against your own principles if your needs aren't being met and you know feeling crappy all the time is like a need not being met and so i was i was to the point of of big consequences if if i followed through with it and uh one of the major 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 relapses i ever had at that like in, in my whole point I had many relapses, but, but one of the, the most, the, one of the last ones and one of the most deep ones was one night, my wife was gone out of town. It was just me. I ejaculated like eight, eight-ish times that night. And like, if you analyze that just a little bit, you real, I realized that it, it wasn't fulfilling. And yet, it kept me trapped in the cycle of, but maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time. And like from all the drugs in your, in your body is releasing that you're talking about. It isn't fulfilling at the end. It really isn't. And like, I'm telling you after so many times of ejaculating, it starts hurting and hurting really bad. And I still wouldn't stop. So, I mean, (laughs) what else can I say? Like, that's straight from the horse's mouth, you know, from one person's experience. And there is so much more fulfilling human connection that can be had 
when when those you know, sexual feelings are are brought about in a way that are holy, the way Marky Peterson talks about, you know, sex is supposed to be a holy thing. And when it's done the right way, at the right time, with the right person, I I can't even, like, there was this thing between, between Colette and I, it's like, um, there's a lot of, because both of us are empaths, it's like some of our feelings are so strong, it's like, um, words, um, uh, what are they? Uh, <laughs> we were going to put on our wedding bands, uh, this time we were thinking about putting, instead of, um, a scripture we're going to put just dot 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 words dot 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 <laughs> but then we decided on uh do you want to tell them what we decided on instead oh alma twenty six sixteen, or the the last part focusing on that uh well obviously we do want to glory in, in god which is the first part of it but the cannot say the word the least part of which i feel um which is what, how we feel about the lord but it's also has become how we feel about each other because of what we've been through but also what we look forward to going through together yeah and it's like the the connection we've been able to have with each other like wow um (laughs) words i i mean it's it's something so deep so beautiful like words are not enough like I, i think of what joseph smith said when he saw the father and the son glorious beyond description. He didn't say glorious beyond English or French or German description. He says glorious beyond description, period. Like there is no earthly mortal language that can describe how deep and pure and healing and wonderful that connection is that you can have between husband and wife when you're doing, you know, when you're going about human sexuality the right way. Um, When you have that open connection, um, how many sexual therapists have I heard about who have said um, that the greatest way to have that special connection with your husband and wife is by having communication that is, like we mentioned at the beginning, open and vulnerable and raw and and kind. Um, when you have that as a part of you know a healthy sexual experience. Yeah, being kind, saying, like, in the moment, saying, that hurts let's try it this way uh, this feels awkward whatever yeah 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 instead uh-huh. of you're a bad person because that hurts it's like or, or just even blurting blur, blur out something like buzz kill like wait what that's no, no let's, let's just talk about this hey can we try this instead can you can you do this like, seriously from from our experience i'm telling you that kind of communication in the bedroom works it works trust me it does <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. keep things fresh and pure and clean and kind and and uh, even detailed, yeah, yeah. That's that's something you can learn together. If it's something that's awkward, oh, what wording would I use? Oh, I'm not used to talking like this. Well, if you've never been married before, if you've never had that kind of relationship with the spouse before, then yeah, it's gonna be a little weird at first, maybe. But you know, nice experience. I mean, yeah, go ahead. It's totally worth it, though. Um, and if you need some help, um, a great. Uh, this is not sponsored, but I, I do recommend it. If you need further assistance in this area, three kilometers out of South Jordan, Utah, uh, with Kirk and Kim Duncan, they have a program called Royalty and Romance, which um, I actually went to with my sister. That was kind of weird, but it was, <laughs> it was a free ticket, and I learned a lot. But in so doing, I had tools for when we were dating. The question and answers that 
or Q&A kind of thing that he and I went through before we got married. We're oh, the ones Brian and Sarah sent, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, this no. This is different. This is the PowerPoint that I had. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, just identifying, like having that open that open communication, this, this workshop teaches you tools. If you're struggling, that's a really good place to start. Um, and scriptures are also a good place to, to go to and identifying who you are and and really getting down to the, the nitty-gritty of why this and that are as a trigger um, and just knowing that it's worth the time and effort to, to have that open communication, to be vulnerable with mm-hmm. your spouse. Yeah, to try different wording and say, you know, like, I'm not going to go into details here, obviously, because we're keeping this PG here. But, yeah. um, you know, getting to the point where you can say, you know, be really detailed with each other. Hey, could you do X, Y, Z? Or, you know, would you be willing to try this or that thing? And, um, you know, with each other, be you can be graphic and kind at the same time with each other because that's the appropriate time and place to do that. So, and um, don't do it in front of your kiddos. Yeah. <laughs> that's scarring. Don't Yes, it is. Um, so, and to kind of go into, start to get into the uh, the recovery part of this conversation, um, I want to start with, uh, there's a clip from from Fight the New Drug, uh, their YouTube channel. This is uh, Greg's story. And Greg is one of the most, the most, uh, unfortunately, celebrated um, and popular male porn stars of all time. But his story, what he says at the end, it just like, I love it. So here we go. I became the most popular, most decorated male adult film star of all time. The phone never stopped ringing. The money kept getting bigger and bigger. My mother had no idea. the ability to have a loving and caring 
relationship. I thought I was still able, and I was fooled. One day, I left the set. I was done for the day. Got in my car, started it up, drove two blocks, pulled over, and turned it off. I started crying. I wanted out so bad. Where to get off that merry-go-round? It's the last movie I ever made. But I never went back. I changed my life. I began my life. You see, if I can change my heart. So today you've got, like I mentioned, like terms like neuroplasticity, being able to change the way the brain works. Greg's an example of that. You know, the brain, like how talking about how the, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, how we can make sexuality become um, a blessing instead of a burden. Um, uh, you know, there's points where the brain can be rewired to no longer enjoy or you know, actual sex or even have sex at all. That's, that's erectile dysfunction in men at least. Um, but those changes can, can happen, you know, um, fight the drug in one of the most, there's, this is a quote from one of their studies and one of the most comprehensive studies on porn consumption ever conducted. Researchers found that after being exposed to soft core sexual material, both men and women were significantly less happy with their partner's looks and sexual performance. Studies have also shown the porn consumers have reported feeling less love for their partner or spouse compared with those who did, don't consume porn. Um, and if you want sources on that, look for uh, uh, D. Zillman and J. Bryant, uh, 1988 Pornography's Impact on Sexual Satisfaction from the Journal of Applied Social Psychology. Um, also, uh, A.J. Bridges' Pornography's Effect on Interpersonal Relationships, 2010 study. Um, uh, also in J. Stoner and D. Hughes, The Social... Uh, costs of Pornography, a collection of papers um, from Princeton, New Jersey, Witherspoon Institute. Um, one more clip I want to play from uh, from episode 31 of season one. Uh, Don Hawkins was the other uh, interviewee on that episode. And uh, she talks um, more about just how uh, how damaging porn is and why it's so important uh, to make sure that human sexuality is expressed solely within marriage and she talks a bit about that here so here we go so you know, um, I wanted to like I don't get to talk to LDS audiences very much and um, and usually I'm talking to secular and I have to put my faith hat to the side but <laughs> I, I think in the healing process something that's been so exciting to me is seeing kind of when the research and gospel principles collide <laughs> And um, one of my, you know, like how many of us when we were younger were taught the law of chastity and we were like, but why? Like our raging hormones, like don't want to follow that. And basically in our youth groups, they were like, you just don't do it. And we weren't really getting good reason. And I I always wanted to know why, why, why. And um, not that I didn't 
get spiritual confirmation that that's an important commandment. But I, um, but, but once I was reading this research study about the impact of pornography on the brain and how it how it works on the brain, and now I've seen a, a number of other studies that kind of dovetail with the first one I where I had this epiphany. But I, I so one of the ways that pornography is impacting the brain is is very interesting, and it when you're engaging in sexual relations with a real person, with your husband or your wife, your brain is releasing certain hormones um, that get you really excited for what's about to happen, that help you focus on the attractive qualities that you see in one another. Um, it, it It's like a dopamine rush. It's Dopamine is one of the biggest things released in your brain when you're about to have sex. It's so exciting, right? And it helps you to bond with that person. It's such a wonderful way that our brains, our bodies are physiologically reacting to to be able to bond with another human being. Um, when you're watching pornography, those same hormones are being released in your brain to like at great at great amounts, except for you're not bonding with a human being. You don't have all the other feelings that come into play. Uh, you're really only focused on the sex act itself yeah, because that's what you're watching. And, um, and so you're getting that like dopamine rush and getting you excited, but it doesn't bring in all the other parts of intimacy. It's really only focused on the sex act. After you have sex with a real person, with your husband or your wife, your brain emits other hormones that help you feel satisfied. It helps you feel bonded to that person. It cements it as a good memory. And it really helps to strengthen that relationship with with your partner after pornography though after you after you climax maybe masturbation to pornography your brain is not emitting those chemicals it's it's very small amounts so and so you're not getting that satisfaction you're and instead you're left wanting more and more and more um that you want that dopamine rush you're not getting the oxytocin and i i feel like you know that explains why our brains like why we're paired best with one other person throughout our life. Like our brains are actually able to connect and bond with them through intimacy and sexuality. Uh, but with pornography, it's really messing all of that up. Yeah. Now, the, the other part I want to point out too is with the brain science, like it's cementing, you know, specific neural pathways in your brain when you're watching pornography and being aroused by that so much. And it does actually change your sexual templates. But the amazing thing about our brain is it's they're made to change and to grow and, and they're, they're plastic is the scientific term, meaning that they can change. And, um, and just as you might be, you know, attractive, attracted to your husband or wife at age 30, you can continue to be sexually attracted to them at age 60 because your brain has changed to still find them attractive. So, I mean, what does Satan want to do with that? He wants to make it as disconnective as possible, right? As opposite of what Don was talking about there. Um, just kind of a side note there I should have clarified beforehand. Uh, so Don Hawkins um, works with National Center on Sexual Exploitation. She is the uh, vice president and executive director um, for the organization. Um, so a whole bunch of stuff, by the way, there. If you want to take a look at uh, the, the part of the fight that she has been participating in and, 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 and uh, heading up uh, against sexual exploitation, against uh, uh, harms of pornography. Their, their organization actually used to be called Porn Harms. A lot of good stuff there if you want to look up some of those resources. 
But um, so for effective warfare against the adversary, um, Colette did a fantastic job at the beginning of kind of addressing uh, an awareness of individual worth, right? And living covenants and, and like with her grandparents with service. Um, I know you had some things you wanted to mention about Alma 50. Right. And how he he went through all the cities and and fortified them. This is in context of what's going on in the scriptures at this time. He had just um, torn his coat previous to this and wrote what he calls the title of everybody of why they were fighting the good fight um, and putting down the the people who were living contrary to God's will and the king men at the time and those who were not willing to to take up arms and, and fight for what was right. Um, and in Alma 51 through 6, he, he goes into detail on what, how they fortified their cities beyond just that title of liberty of the, the heaps of earth, the pickets, the timbers, the, the towers where he had watchmen and, um, and how important that is in our lives to have that kind of fortress around us. Um, you can relate it to our own lives and how the heaps of earth can be principles of the gospel, such as faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, enduring to the end, um, pickets in relation to the commandments, the obviously basic Ten Commandments, the other ones, the law of chastity, the law of... Um, tithing of fast offering, um, law of obedience, sacrifice, ordinances in the go- in, in the temple, baptism, all those things, um, renewing our covenants with, each week with the, the when possible, right now, obviously. Um, yeah, Colette, the had the, yeah, we had the privilege today, oh my gosh, it was like, it's so nice to be back in church, even if it is limited. <laughs> yeah, for like, be, being there for the sacrament. Like oh, 20 man. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was 20, 20, 30 minutes, like 45 minute meeting, no, it was 30, hey, you know what? The sacrament was there. Renewal of covenants, worth it. Yeah, and and Bishop did a good talk. Anyway, um, and then Timbers, uh, gathering of Israel, missionary work, temple work, family history. How awesome family history can help you combat your addiction if you focus outside of yourself and do work on both sides of the veil. Um, how you can overcome those things because you're focused on the Lord and what is right. Um, and then the towers with the church, church leaders, with prophets and apostles, both living and dead. Um, those role models from the scriptures can even be there. You, in your life, you can determine who's on those towers, who is watching out for you. And you look to them for help, for guidance, for tender care and mercy, for uh, guidance. When you are struggling... Those people that you want to say, hey, look, that, that, that thing that's coming up, that, that's, that's harmful. You should um, throw your stones of prayer, scripture study, um, fasting, of all those thing, those little things you can do each day, focusing on Christ, focusing on other service. Um, do right. those things right now before that bad thing happens. Right. Yeah, I was thinking what you said there of... Um, uh, oh prophets and, and our, our leaders being those uh, watchmen in the tower I'm thinking of what John by the way said in his uh, oh, what is it? I think his talk was the talk was called Righteous Warriors or something like that 
and uh, he's talking about that that part where Moroni is like, well, what are the Lamanites going to do next? Okay, we're going to send spies out, but wait a minute, ask the prophet too. Where are they going to go next? And the way he says it is, you know, the prophets, it's better than, you know, CNN and better reporters, better than satellite reconnaissance. Ask the prophet. <laughs> he knows what's going to come next. And so, like, how long have they been? Like, Family proclamation came out, was it 95, I think it was? Yeah, when President Hinckley read that. And how many things in there? Well, duh. It's like, well, wait a minute. Today, <laughs> well ahead of its time, right? Um, yeah, because now, now the family, well, the family's been under attack the whole time, but Satan has amped up his, his efforts in attacking the family. And how, with the title Liberty, Family Proclamation, the Living Christ, the new proclamation that President Nelson read this last conference, about the restoration, the Articles of Faith, all those things can stand as why we are fighting the good fight in in the army of the Lord and why it's so important. Um, one of my dear family members has gone away from the church because he thinks that President Hinckley was a fallen prophet because of the family proclamation. But it is from the Lord. It is a proclamation that has been signed by 15 men that are been called, chosen, prepared, and qualified for the work to say this is what God says family is. And I know I have family members who may or may not listen to this, who may or may not believe in that proclamation, but I know that it is possible if we turn to the Lord that He'll make anything and everything that's ever been written or spoken by prophets and apostles, both living and dead, and to know the truth that the Lord would have us know if we are willing to put forth the effort to put our faith in the Lord, that we can have that testimony for ourselves. I'm not saying you have to believe what I say or what Paul says. Try it out for yourself. Talk. Go before the Lord in prayer or to your higher power if you're not there yet to believe in Jesus Christ or in Heavenly Father. You just, there's no, everything denotes that there is a God, everything. There's no way that this world as it is just appeared. It, it's just, it's impossible. It's scientifically improbable actually. Right. That might be another episode for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a discussion on that one, shall we? It's just um, how important it is to focus on what is truth. And as we use those those tools um, as a missionary, using the, these examples of the fortress, it was so important to, to, to illustrate. Um, I'm grateful for my, my great companions who taught me this lesson. Um, so that I could share it with others and how it I've expanded it since then. But if you take any part of that, any part of the, whether it's faith or repentance or attending church or going to the temple, if you take any part of that fortress away, you leave yourself vulnerable to the adversary's attacks, mm -hmm. his, his arrows. And so then you have to make sure that you have more stones and fortification elsewhere. But even then... You're off balance. Yeah. And yeah. it's 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 so harder, so much harder. Yeah, well, something that's what reminds me of too. Um, uh, kind of before we get to the TED talk I mentioned earlier, there's a part of Alex Boy's story. Um, for those of you who have heard of his 
awesome musical talents. Such a cool guy. Um, there's an interview he actually had about his recovery um, from porn addiction that I want to play here too. It, it, the reason is because he relates um, what he had to do, it, it, kind of going off of what uh, Colette said there, about just how hard he had to fight spiritually, how hard he had to cling to spiritual resources in order to overcome his battle. So here's that. You know, the other thing that a lot of people don't know is that when I first came out to Utah, I, I came with a lot of baggage, with a lot of struggles. One of them was I had a major pornography problem, major. And I remember the first few weeks when I came to Utah, I went, I was living in Orem and I went to the Institute there and that was literally my therapy. I would sit outside the Institute building when it opened and I'd get in there and I would stay in the, cha- in the chapel. I'd stay in the Institute building all day. You know, go home and as soon as I left the building, I'd get all those thoughts again. Then I had to run back to the church and I was there. I would feel sometimes when I would just like talk to the janitor, I was like, can I just sleep here on the church bench? Can I just sleep here in the chapel? Wow. You know, sometimes they'd let me. And I, I was in just, they say that it's harder to get off, it's easier to get off cocaine than it is um, pornography. I've never had cocaine, but let me tell you something. That's one of the hardest things. I've ever had to do you get off that and that was also my boy band and you know that since you got home from your mission yeah mm-hmm. and and how did you get off it <sighs> you know when they talk about cold turkey <laughs> I mean you were there <laughs> was that's what I had to I remember I wanted to read the scripture once where it talks about how I wish I'd remember what it was but it talks a lot about how you know when it's when someone when when Jesus healed the sick or he'd cast like you know devils out of people um, one of the things that it said is that you had to, so now you've got an empty house. And what happens is that afterwards, it says all those devils came back again afterwards. Because what it is, is that you, now that you've got an empty house, you've got to fill it. You have to fill it with something totally different, with good. If you just, if it's just empty, then there's still space for them to come. But I had to literally fill it with good. So I, I took that literally. I'm talking about you know, I would come, I'd go to church, I'd go to that, the institute every single day, every class. They all knew me there, man. Jack Christensen changed my life. His, his talks, man, I, I, it was like, it was like water, like water to me, a thirsty soul. And every single day, and then when I'd leave, I'd have to take scripture and read it. That's the only time I never got those urges. So, of course, what did I do? I am filling my mind like over and over. And then eventually it just started to phase out. Yeah, it's a very slow process and it just started to fade out. Notice what he does there. He just saturates his mind with spiritual light. And from experience, you know, Colette and I on both ends, I'm sure we can say the same thing. You've got to just, like Alex said, you've got to replace once you've got something empty, once you've been able to clear your mind at least enough, you've got to displace it with that spiritual light. You, like you, as, as opposed to, I can't, oh, I can't possibly get enough sexual high. How about I can't possibly get enough spiritual high? Because <laughs> that's actually satisfying, you know? And long-lasting, for sure. It, if you, like, that... I, I associate, because I don't have an addiction other than to sugar right now. So 
it it's the difference between do I want that extra cookie or um or that extra few minutes of masturbation or that extra few minutes of porn or do I want to that last only a, a few moments while you're in that moment mm-hmm. or do you want that deep rich abiding love and joy that happens when you're engulfed in the gospel it's like oh that feels right? so good and, it feels like home and, and you may fight it at first you're like i don't have time for that make time for it make time for it even if it's five minutes to start and increase your increase your dosage in a sense of of that spiritual enrichment in the in the scriptures in the standard works in uh um those Hope works. Um, oh, those are good videos. Yeah, Hope those works. are awesome. Like out church videos, mm-hmm. um, like Second Nephi nine fifty one. It's on my license plate on my car. <laughs> Feast on that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted. Yeah, mm-hmm. and how and how much that is more rich and and delightful and delicious to the taste. Oh, yeah. <laughs> than anything else that the world can or the devil can throw at you. Yeah. Well, and that, that makes me think, too, of... It's interesting that Alex Boy mentions Jack R. Christensen on there because what his talk in The Mortal Christ, right, where um, where he's, you know, he's talking to... Uh, um, and he's talking about, like, Lehi with the fruit. Oh, maybe it's John, by the way, I want to mention there. I forget where he don't... Uh, I think it's John, by the way, actually, who's... He's talking about Lehi and... And the fruit, and he's like, he didn't say, oh, oh well, th- this was uh, this was really good stuff. He's like, no, the most delicious, most sweet I had ever tasted the love of God, the, the fruit symbolizes, right? Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to mention from Jack R. Christensen. If it comes back to me, if it's important, they'll come back to me, I guess. But, um, yeah, just such, you have to saturate your mind with it, you know? Um, oh, I remember what it was from Jack R. Christensen's talk. Maybe it was important enough. Where he, you know, the part in the New Testament where he takes the Savior um, to different—I should say—the Savior goes to different places according to Joseph Smith's translation, and he's tempted by Satan. Um, and he poses the question: Wait a minute, why was it wrong to turn rocks to bread? You know, he turns water to wine a few weeks later. What's the difference? Rocks to bread, water to wine. And uh, Jack says the difference is who offered it. I mean. His mother asked him to change water to wine, so he did it. That's different, you know. You know, when the when the adversary says, "Do this," that's why it's wrong. And the, the tone Jack gets in his voice when he talks about that in that part of his talk is so cool. He's like, "That's why it's wrong," you know. The issue isn't so much. I mean, that's part of the issue, but it isn't so much. It isn't as much, I should say. You know, oh, it's it's sexually wrong. It's 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 gonna mess with your brain. It's gonna corrupt you. Oh, yeah, we'll do that too, but. Who offers that? Who offers porn and masturbation and sexual immorality? Not the Son of God. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing what Jack said there. I'm kind of applying it to the episode here. But the point is the same. Jesus doesn't offer that. Satan does. Um, So just something else to keep in mind here. Um, So for one more tool um, as to... This is also coming from, from more of a secular point of view, but still has gospel truth in it. Um, this is that TED Talk I mentioned from Johan Hari um, about why the opposite of addiction actually is not sobriety. It is connection. Um, so I'm going to pull it up here, and here we go. In the year 2000, Portugal had 
one of the worst drug problems in Europe. 1% of the population was addicted to heroin, which is kind of mind-blowing. And every year, they tried the American way more and more. They punished people and stigmatized them and shamed them more. And every year, the problem got worse. And one day, the prime minister and the leader of the opposition got together and basically said, look, we can't go on with a country where we're having ever more people becoming heroin addicts. Let's set up a panel of scientists and doctors to figure out what would genuinely solve the problem. And they set up a panel led by an amazing man called Dr. Huao Gulao to look at all this new evidence. And they came back and they said, decriminalize all drugs from cannabis to crack. But, and this is the crucial next step, take all the money we used to spend on cutting addicts off, on disconnecting them, and spend it instead on reconnecting them with the society. And that's not, it's interesting, that's not really what we think of, what they did wasn't really what we think of as drug treatment in the United States and Britain. So they do do residential rehab, they do do psychological therapy that does have some value. But the biggest thing they did was the complete opposite of what we do. A massive program of job creation for addicts and micro loans for addicts to set up small businesses. So say you used to be a mechanic, when you're ready, they go to a garage and they'll say, if you employ this guy for a year, we'll pay half his wages. The goal was to make sure that every addict in Portugal had something to get out of bed for in the morning. And when I went and met the addicts in Portugal, it's fascinating. What they said is, as they rediscovered purpose, they rediscovered bonds and relationships with the wider society. It'll be uh, 15 years this year since that experiment began and the results are in. Injecting drug use is down in Portugal, according to the British Journal of Criminology, by 50%, 50%. Overdose is massively down. HIV is massively down among addicts. Uh, addiction in every study is significantly down. One of the ways you know it's worked so well is that almost nobody in Portugal wants to go back to the old system. Now, that's the kind of political implications. I actually think there's a layer of implications to all this research below that. You know, we live in a culture where people feel really increasingly vulnerable to all sorts of addictions, whether it's to their smartphones or to shopping or to eating. You know, before these talks began, you guys know this, that uh, we were told we weren't allowed to have our smartphones on. And I have to say, a lot of you looked an awful lot like addicts who were being told their dealer was going to be unavailable for the next couple of hours. And, you know, a lot of us feel like that. And it might sound weird to say, oh, you know, I've been talking about how disconnection is a major driver of addiction. But weird to say it's growing because you think, well, we're the most connected society there's ever been, surely. But I increasingly began to think that the connection we have, the connections we have, we think we have, are like a kind of parody of human connection. If you have a crisis in your life, you'll notice something. It won't be your Twitter followers who come to sit with you. It won't be your Facebook friends who help you turn it around. It'll be your flesh and blood friends who you have deep and nuanced and textured face-to-face -face relationships with. And... I think there's a, there's a study I learned about from Bill McKibben, the environmental writer, I think tells us a lot about this. There's a, he looked at the number of close friends the average American believes they can call on in a crisis. That number has been declining steadily since the 1950s. The amount of floor space an individual has in their home has been steadily increasing. And I think that's like a metaphor for the choice we've made as a culture, right? We've traded floor space for friends. We've traded stuff for connections and the result is that we are one of the loneliest societies there has ever been and yet Bruce Alexander the guy who did the Rat Park experiment says we talk all the time in addiction about individual recovery and it's right to talk about that but we need to talk much more about social recovery something's gone wrong with us not just as individuals but as a group and we created a society where for a lot of us life looks a whole lot more like that isolated cage and a whole lot less like Rat Park but if I'm honest this isn't why I went into it, right? I didn't go in to discover the political stuff, the social stuff. I wanted to know how to help the people I love. And when I came back from this long journey and I'd learned all this, 
I looked at the addicts in my life, and if, you know, if you're really candid, it's, it's hard loving an addict, and there's going to be lots of people who know in this room you are angry a lot of the time. And um, I think one of the reasons why this debate is so charged is because it runs through the heart of each of us, right? Everyone has a bit of them that looks at an addict and thinks, I wish someone would just stop you. And the kind of script we're told for how to deal with the addicts in our lives is typified by, I think, by the reality show Intervention. If you guys haven't seen it, I think everything in our lives is typified by reality TV, but that's another, that's another TED talk. Um, uh, if you've never seen the show Intervention, it's a pretty simple premise. Get an addict, all the people in their life, gather them together and say, if you don't shape up, they confront them with what they're doing and they say, if you don't shape up, we're going to cut you off, right? So what they do is they take the connection to the addict and they threaten it. They make it contingent on the addict behaving the way they want. Um, and I began to think, I began to see why that approach doesn't work. And I began to think that almost that's like the importing of the logic of the drug war into our private lives. So I was thinking, well, how could I be Portuguese, right? And what I try to do now, and I can't tell you I do it consistently and I can't tell you it's easy, is to say to the addicts in my life that I want to deepen the connection with them, to say to them, I love you, whether you're using or you're not. I love you, whatever state you're in, and if you need me, I'll come and sit with you, because I love you and I don't want you to be alone or to feel alone. And I think the core of that message, you're not alone, we love you, has to be at every level of how we respond to addicts, socially, politically and individually. For a hundred years now, we've been singing war songs about addicts. I think all along we should have been singing love songs to them, because the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. You know, one of the crucial things I think he mentions in there too um, is that, like, and I, I had told this to my dad too, actually, on, on a 21-hour drive back from, um, after Rain passed away from Canada to Colorado, is that what you're doing um, when you choose to you know, do that whole, you know, if you don't stop, we're going to cut you off. Um, you're rewarding them. When you take someone who is struggling with sexual addiction, I mean, Johan, I know, was talking about substance abuse, but it, the same applies. Um, I know that from experience. When you take somebody and say, if you don't stop this, we're going to cut you off. We don't want to be around you anymore. You're, you're severing a, a, a relationship, a connection that is obviously already broken anyways. So it's, it's a reward, really. You're not doing any good. You're just actually rewarding the behavior. You're saying, oh, well, this is broken. Well, then, okay, we'll just let it go anyways. Who cares, right? Um, and that's that you're just making the problem worse. The, 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 you know, the addiction comes from a place of loneliness, of isolation. That's where it thrives, in the darkness, where Satan wants it to thrive. If you want to make it so that those relationships and connections can stay healthy, you've got to make it so that... Um, you're saying, oh, wait a minute, Let, let's displace your addiction by reestablishing healthy connections, loving relationships. Um, that's the best way you can help an addict. You know, as Johan Hari said, it's like, it, it's, no, it's not easy. It's hard to see someone you love suffer like that. Um, and that kind of goes into um, one of the last parts, last things I want to address here before we wrap up. Um, kind of going into what chastity means before and within marriage. Um, blessings of living a chaste life you know not not everything goes in the bedroom after the wedding some things are still considered unholy and impure practices um so and these are this is from a talk um uh, you can look at the this is the words of Susanna Wesley 
All right, so in the words of Susanna Wesley, whatsoever, sorry, whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your consciousness, obscures your sense of God, take off your relish, or sorry, takes off your relish for spiritual, spiritual things. Whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in in itself. I mean, that's... There's the Holy Ghost... What was that conference talk? I don't know if you remember this, hun, where... Um, what was the speaker? She was talking about um, one, one guy at the, was at BYU who was asking the Heavenly Father what he wanted to do, and the Spirit said to him, clean up your language. And the other go, um, clean up your apartment. You know, stop swearing, whatever it was. Um, so the Holy Ghost... Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, kind of building on that, President Harold B. Lee taught um, that if married couples, quote, would resolve from the moment of their marriage, um, that from that time forth, they would resolve to do everything in their power to please each other in things that are right, even to sacrifice their own pleasures, their own appetites, their own desires. Now, remember here what uh, Don Hawkins said in that part of the recording where she's like, people's sexual templates and, and desires can actually be morphed and shifted and warped by porn and sexual addiction. Uh, so continuing on here, like, so sacrifice their own pleasures, their own appetites, their own desires. The problem of adjustment in married life would take care of itself. And their home would indeed be a happy home. Great love is built on great sacrifice, and that home where the principle of sacrifice for the welfare of each other is daily expressed um, is that home where great love or abides a great love. And Colette and I, I know, both can speak from experience on that. Um, we've both been able to have openness and communication between us where you know, it's been the matter of, oh, well, if this doesn't make you happy, I will adjust. And that we've we've given and received that on both ends, and it's been oh, so glorious. <laughs> um, and so he continues. He says sometimes that sacrifice takes the form of giving up a sexual hope because your spouse isn't okay with it. And uh, I think that's happened on both of our ends, even even that between us already, just over two weeks now. <laughs> and uh, that's happened already. It's it's actually been really nice to see you know okay what do we need to give up we got our person um and adjust in the bedroom and it's it's been wonderful actually kind of seeing how we we've been able to have that kind and open compromise with each other it's strengthened the bond with each other it's been wonderful for us he continues so redirecting that passion um towards something you're both comfortable with other times that sacrifice may take the form of something uh, may take the form of trying something new to please your spouse, even if it's not your favorite, as long as you don't feel degraded or demeaned. It's okay to try things out, then keep trying in order to improve the experience. It's also okay to decide, quote, you know, well, we're not going to do that one again. Um, <laughs> that's actually happened with us as, as well. <laughs> um, we've seen all this to be, oh, so it's like, mind-blowing wow this is so true like we've seen all the sides of this already and it's just it's been such an awesome bonding experience with this strengthening our marriage and our home um so yeah anything you have to add about that hun so in relation to what president um presently was talking about and how sometimes we're asked to to sacrifice for our our spouse um, and sometimes 
that sacrifice may include giving up those uh, sexual relationships because the spouse no longer can or is able um, or due to, to health reasons um, in relation to that my as far as I am aware like um, and how my my grandparents um, because of unforeseen health complications after having my dad they my my grandma had to have a, a very erratic uh, hysterectomy and how that changed their sex life and how grandpa had to sacrifice his well they both did sacrifice their desire to have you know 12 kids for my dad and then 10 and 14 years later having the opportunity to adopt my aunt and my uncle and how that that fortified their relationship because they found other ways to serve and show love to each other to be intimate without being you know super sexual with each other because they couldn't mm. now they glad you actually mentioned that too because um, for any of you who are again want to go listen to episode 31 of season one um, that was I mean for for much much different reasons um, that was my life up in Canada for 10 years you know um, because of Lorraine's health problems we were limited to when we could um, just social and emotional intimacy that's the best we could do um, and oh my gosh I have Colette in my life now and look like the Lord compensates. Wow, does he ever. <laughs> oh my goodness. He just, he's merciful. We were willing to make those sacrifices um, and adapt to whatever the Lord throws at us, you know. So it's, it's, it's totally worth it to, you know, look for ways you can compromise and you know, make each other happy. So just to kind of end off here on a happy, positive note, um, just want to address to wrap up here hope and joy through Christ's atonement um, you know something I've learned from my own experience is that happiness at heart can be had even when sex is not amazing for both of you as you want it to be there's going to be times maybe maybe one day something happens it's like oh well that wasn't that great this time it, it's, it's going to happen you know <laughs> um and you can still feel that same connection, though, of love at heart for your spouse. Um, you know that na it's a natural effect of charity, the pure love of Christ. Sometimes it's just going to be like, "Well, that didn't quite work, did it?" That time, <laughs> and you know, I've felt myself that there's still t like even when those times come, it's just I can still feel that connection in my heart with Colette, and it's just you know the. The sexual element of it is, I mean, yeah, it's a bonding experience, but it's like, if if you're, you know, if you have that connection, especially like like we've mentioned through communication with your spouse, um, you know, carnal impulses and desires, even those made by God, as Marky Peterson said earlier in that recording, um, they don't have to be, you know, the be all end all solution or lack thereof to times where it's oh hey let's let's strengthen our marriage by doing this oh well it didn't work well you can still have that strength there because of 
you know, the, the level of safety and communication and being safe, being vulnerable with each other, you can still have that connection happen just by making your spouse feel loved and happy and joyful and good. Um, you can feel a connection to by being purely of service to them, even if it doesn't work out perfectly the way you may have wanted for yourself. I, I, I know that that kind of connection is real. So. I've seen that even with the two of us and when times have not gone well for myself or for him and how we've had took, taken those opportunities to to serve each other and make sure that the other feels good even if we weren't able to feel as good as we could have but then b making sure that each other we instead of using physical using words to bring comfort and joy and oh my gosh he talks so good <laughs> <laughs> but but using those opportunities to still love on your spouse even if physical intimacy is not an option using words, using service, using acts of kindness, all the the other uh, four other uh, love languages, use those and use them well. Fine tune them in your life and in your relationships. And don't be like the movies where love is one-sided or self-centered or self-serving, but do it in a way that is, it, it serves both of you makes that connection stronger and focused on Christ on each other and that's what's important more than mm -hmm. anything else that can be that has mm -hmm. been portrayed by the media or mm -hmm. other forms of examples <laughs> impure examples yeah like that 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 focus on Christ though like I want to echo what Colette said there that is so crucial because you know even if things don't go you know your way or your spouse's way or whatever um that as long as you have what you are trying to do centered on Christ, I mean, how many couples have I heard of who actually make sure that they are making fasting and prayer a part of their sexual life? Like, you know what? It works. <laughs> it does work. You, you center everything you do in your, in your marriage on the Savior, in your personal life on the Savior. I promise you from my own experience, from both of us, he can enhance all of it. No matter how, oh, well, this didn't, This might not work out so well this time for me. Well, actually, it can still be very fulfilling because Christ can enhance that effort. He can enhance what you're doing to make it still satisfying to you at heart. Yeah, and using uh, direct language, expressing your desires, expectations, um, and all those things, using plain language. Be plain with your, your spouse. Mm -hmm. Don't sugarcoat it don't tap around the subject or uh like texas two-step as my mom likes to put it. <laughs> yeah. just be straight and trust that your spouse is going to love you regardless and learn to love your spouse regardless of what they say exactly if you're not there yet learn it <laughs> yeah like even if you're kind of learning it just between the two of you if if one of you both of you is too oh i'm afraid of going through a therapist well then you know Practice on your own. See what works. See what doesn't. Be patient with each other. Be kind. Um, and, and, you know, that's one of the best ways to figure it out. Um, this is one thing also that can... Uh, something else I want to play here for you guys. Uh, this is a, a Carrie and Troy story. And this is from one of the church videos uh, about how they managed to help him overcome his addiction. And it kind of helps bring hope. I was reading in 
Moses, chapter 7, about Enoch. And he beheld Satan, and he had a great chain in his hand, and it veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness. And he looked up and laughed, and his angels rejoiced. When I read that scripture, it hit me that the adversary was laughing at me as much as he was laughing at Troy and his addiction. I did not want to give him that power anymore. I wanted to take my family back. I wanted our marriage back. The enemy is not the spouse. The enemy is not another person. The addiction is the enemy. Um, is that thing you uh, mentioned about War Room? Okay, so in in the movie The War Room by the Kendrick Brothers, um, or produced by the Kendrick Brothers, they push the, the matter of prayer. And they don't say fasting, but... Um, And how the Lord is your best defense attorney. If your spouse or your loved one is struggling with addiction, instead of, or whatever in your marriage, instead of fighting it out, because yelling at each other isn't going to get you anywhere. Like they, in the movie, it doesn't get them anywhere. But when she starts praying for him and allowing God to work in their lives, how that softens his heart, helps him to turn to the Lord. I remember him walking into that room that she she doesn't tell him anything about it. And he walks in, he sees all those prayers of hers on the wall, and he just melts. He just has a 180 flip-flop. I remember that scene. Yeah, because, like, he's done all these terrible things. Why would she even bother to pray for him? That feeling of, do I deserve this? Yeah, Yeah, but learning that you do, you do deserve the prayers. Your spouse or your loved one deserves the prayers. And... They do help. They are heard. God does honor your prayers, and He does count your tears. Oh my gosh! If you guys ever, whenever you, if you hear, get to hear Colette pray, <laughs> oh, it's magical. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my love. Um, it's just that the Lord is in the is in the details. If you allow Him to to be there for you and know that you're not alone and the person who's going through that addiction or that trial of faith or trial or life crisis even that the Lord is there for them and for you and he will make it right if not in this life then in the next but he will give you the strength to endure it in the time that you're called to bear it absolutely Um, just just one more side note of hope here as well that uh Maybe a lot of people don't consider these days, because as everything we've talked about so far here, mostly you know, it kind of goes to the side of when men get addicted. Um, if you are a woman listening to this and you have a sexual addiction, I know of at least one off the top of my head. I won't mention who it is, who has had addictions to um, sexual things, pornography, stuff like that. You are not alone. This is one story I'm going to play here really quick. It's just like four minutes long um, from a woman who had the same problem. Super, super awesome perspective. Um, And this is from Fight the New Drugs Consider Before Consuming podcast. So here's that clip. Well, the name of the podcast, as you know, Sabrina, is Consider Before Consuming. And we like to discuss the harmful effects of pornography and sexual exploitation using only science, facts, and personal accounts. Oh, and by the way, uh, this is Sabrina Parr on this episode, Lifestyle Coach and Social Media Influencer. So... And so one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the podcast and have this conversation is because you have a personal account um, around 
uh, pornography, around the harmful effects of pornography. Um, yes. And so I just wanted to ask you, when did you become aware, like when was the first time in your life that you became aware of some of the harmful effects of pornography? Um, when I was married. So um, I'm divorced now since 2016. And, you know, um, you know, our marriage, it was, it was pretty rough. You know, we had a lot of challenges. And um, a lot of times I just found myself, like, anytime he was away from the house, just going to watch porn. You know, like, what's the big deal? Um, it doesn't take a lot of time. And, you know, it'll make me feel just better. To, just to clarify, just to clarify, Sabrina, um, because I, I wanted our listeners to have the context. Did you say when he was around, he would go and watch porn? Or when he, when he wasn't around, you would watch porn? When he wasn't around, I would go watch porn. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, I was just doing it just to, like, as a stress reliever. And, and then sometimes I even convince myself, like, oh, I'm grown. What's the harm? You know, at least it's not like another person. It's not cheating. So, um, but I started noticing that, first of all, I'm sneaking. So it's a lie that I'm right. creating. And I'm always having to create some type of story or having a feeling of guilt around it when I'm done. And then also it was desensitizing me. So um, I was starting to notice that when I would engage and have sex with my um, ex-husband, it just wouldn't feel the same. You know, like I would be then craving the feeling I had from when I was watching porn. Right. And then the more I would watch it, the more I would want a higher high, you know. And so I'm always trying to go to another level. And then maybe I would add a sex toy, you know. So not only did it just become time-consuming, it was like I'm lying to him. He's not pleasing me the same. And now we're arguing over something totally, <laughs> you know, outside of what the, uh, re the real issues were. So, um once I was divorced and some time has passed, I told myself, you know what, this is a problem. And so I got rid of my sex toys. So that was like step one. So, and I just knew that was dangerous. And I knew that that path could take me down to, to a dark place that I didn't want to go. I, I really desired to have healthy relationships. So that was my very first time just really discovering like, you know, porn is dangerous for me. Interesting. That's... Thanks for sharing that. I think that's very cool. And one of the, the reason why I say cool, I mean, not that you had to have that challenge, but the fact that you kind of owned it, you had the self-awareness to realize what was happening and kind of navigate away from that. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it took some time. I didn't own it initially, but eventually I did. Right. One of the misconceptions around pornography is that it's only a guy problem. And that's mm. not true. <laughs> like, so far from the truth. Yeah, it's so far from the truth because... Uh, yeah, the numbers are showing that a lot of women also watch porn and, and have challenges with pornography. So we appreciate yeah. you being honest. So just as a reminder, you know, no matter whether you're man, woman, no matter how old or young you are, how, how little or how much time you've had trying to overcome something like this, believe me, there is somebody else in your position. There always is. Um, so the, the final thing I wanted to, to do here uh, for this episode tonight um, we're going to have some resources listed as well for people who uh, want to look more into something like maybe find the new drug or some of these videos. We'll have links to all of them um, if you guys want to check any of these out, like the full videos. Um, but just uh, there's a talk from Linda S. Reeves that talks about protection from pornography, a Christ-centered home that was in the, the most 
one of the recent conferences, I forget which which session it was in. Um, but just to kind of lead into that, we're going to have, there's a little bit of a clip here, uh, just a, a minute or too long, um, talking about what conversation about healthy sexuality looks like. Um, and this is um, a church-sponsored video. I don't, I don't remember who the actual names of the people being interviewed here are, but um, I wish I could find, I could not for the life of me find out what the names of these people are, but they're, I, from what I understand, other videos I've seen with them, they are therapists who talk about you know, healthy sexuality and intimacy. So anyways, here we go with that. So much of this life is tied to our bodies and this earthly experience and the sexual parts of our bodies, the sexual parts of our spirits, our sexual nature, if you will, is such a part of life. So if we separate that and make it this separate topic, something we have to do a lesson on once a year to the youth, but that, that, that's all we go there. We, we, we don't interconnect it, and it is in the relationship. And so then when we talk about a whole range of topics, when we talk about the word of wisdom, we talk about modesty, we talk about all of these things are all tied together. And so uh, when we bear testimony to our youth about all these other parts of the gospel, we try to be examples to our youth in all these other parts of the gospel, but somehow with sexuality we treat that differently. We unintentionally give them the message that we're uncomfortable with it, that that's not a, a, a divine part of who they are, you know, all sorts of things. So in some ways, if we don't teach, we are teaching. And almost assuredly, not the messages we want to teach. The wrong message, absolutely. The absence of teaching is, is a form of teaching. And then they start to doubt their own natural sexual curiosity, interests, attractions, but no one talks about this. Do other people feel like this? Right? And so one of our biggest things is to get away from the big talk mindset. It really is about relationships. It really is layered across. And it needs to be as comfortable and casual as it can possibly be. It needs to be driving in the pickup truck. It needs to be sitting on the bedroom floor. The more we make it into a big talk mindset, our young people don't know how to get back to that big talk time. Oh, I need to talk again about this, but I don't know how to create the big talk. I know how to talk to dad in the pickup truck. I know how to talk to mom in the kitchen. I know how to talk while we're out in the yard picking strawberries. And if it's a part of those conversations and relationships, I say, I know how to get back there. But I don't know how to get back to the big talk space. So please do that. You know, if you want something that's going to really work to make your home Christ-centered, free from, you know, sexual temptation as much as possible, make it something that your family, friends, whoever it is, can talk to you about freely. So to, to kind of finish off here, again, from Linda S. Reeves, Protection from Pornography. Um, I'll read a part of this, and then Colette and I will kind of go back and forth, if you don't mind, hon. Um, so begins, a friend recently cautioned when you ask, the, the section we're reading here, when you ask the sisters to read the scriptures and pray more, it stresses them out. They already feel like they have too much to do. Brothers and sisters, I know from my own experiences and those of my husband, I must testify of the blessings of daily scripture study and prayer and family, uh, weekly family home evening. These are, are the very practices which help take away stress, um, by the way, which is one of the most frequent factors in sexual addiction. Um, gives direction to our lives and adds protection to our homes. Then, if pornography or other challenges do strike our families, we can petition the Lord for help and expect great guidance from the Spirit, knowing that we have done what our Father has asked us to do. Brothers and sisters, if these have not been practices in our homes, we can all begin now. 
If our children are older and refuse to join us, we can start with ourselves. As we do, the influence of the Spirit will begin to fill our homes and our lives, and over time, children may respond. Um, in my case, side note, um, it was my sister and I who had to bring the gospel more so outside of my grandparents' home into our home um, and get the TV to be turned off because sports became more important than the gospel and how that whoever you are in your family what role you play you can be that example and bring that spirit into the home um, moving on to what uh, she's also con uh, continuing with her words so remember that uh, living apostles have also promised that we search out our ancestors and prepare our own family names for the temple. We will be protect, or as we search out our ancestors and prepare our own families for the temple, we will be protected now and throughout our lives as we keep ourselves worthy of the temple, of a temple recommend. What promises? Uh, Far more effective than using technology for porn. Oh my goodness. Right, and one of my um, previous wards I was in, there was a lady that bore testimony of the power of indexing and doing family, family history saved her from her addiction to porn. So using your time wisely on the, your devices can save you from that which the Lord, which the adversary would use to against you. Yeah, be, become become a master of your devices, not enslaved by them. Right. Like Elder Bednar taught. Absolutely. Just one final closing thought here, and this is from President Packer, cleansing the inner vessel. This is so good. So he he begins in this section I have here. President Joseph Fielding Smith told me of a repentant woman struggling to find her way out of a very immoral life. She asked him what she would she, what she should do. Now, in turn, he asked her to read from to him. Uh, from the Old Testament, the account of Lot's wife, who was turned to a pillar of salt. He then asked her, what lesson do you gain from those verses? She answered, the Lord, destroyed, the Lord will destroy the wicked. Not so, President Smith said in that lesson for this repentant woman. That, sorry, President Smith said that the lesson for this repentant woman and for you is don't look back. Strangely enough, it may be the simplest and most powerful prevention and cure from pornography or any unclean act is to ignore and avoid it. Delete from the mind any unworthy thought that tries to take root. Once you have decided to remain clean, you are asserting your God-given agency. And then, as President Smith counseled, don't look back. I'm thinking of uh, Jack Christensen's when he mentioned, of course Jesus noticed the tremendous temptations constantly about him. The difference from him to us that he did not process and reprocess them. He, he continues, I promise that ahead of you is peace and happiness for you and your family. The ultimate end of all activity in the church is that a man and his wife and their children can be happy at home. And I invoke the blessings of the Lord upon you who are struggling against this terrible plague to find the healing that is available to us in the priesthood of the Lord. I bear power, excuse me, I bear witness of that power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I mean, scripture in Jacob will be wise. What can I say more? <laughs> right. Yeah. And a, a side note to the don't look back there. For me, it it's not an addiction, but it, it is something that I have done. Um, it was recommended, and I think in one of my institute classes, so I did. I went home and I I broke up 
every DVD, every CD, anything that did not invite the spirit, and I threw it away. And I didn't realize how much crap I had collected in music and media and how distracting it was. I canceled my, at that point I had canceled my Netflix or Hulu or one of those subscriptions because it was eating up my time. I wasn't using it wisely. Um, so, and for me, I had to step completely back, gut it out, and then fill it up. <laughs> Definitely a way of not being able to look back then. <laughs> right, yeah. And it, how much it, it helped me because it, because instead of spending all that time doing that, that movie, that... Service, sort of, whatever, yeah. what That whatever. wasting time thing. <laughs> for me, it was because I wasn't reading my scriptures at that point. I was other than like a few minutes here and there saying like, ooh, I checked it off of my list. But how important it is to to take away those things and and literally don't look back. Find something else to replace it that's better for you. Absolutely. Displace the darkness with light. Um, reminds me of um, one of my, uh, not not profile picture, the other one, the, the header ones, the, the banner photos, that's what it is on Facebook. <laughs> I had photoshopped this, This I had kind of done a freeze frame on the scene from Harry Potter where he's fighting off the Dementors when he finally learns like he can produce that huge powerful Patronus and oh it was me, it wasn't my dad. And uh, I kind of freeze framed it where one of those big domes of light is kind of driving away the Dementors and I had put this quote on there, I thought, Wil Wilfred, uh, last name starts with W, I forget his okay. name. No, 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 it wasn't the prophet, it was a 70 like, like I don't know, 20 years ago, 10 maybe. Mm. I forget the name. Um, anyways. Willard? I don't know what his name was. But the quote is basically says something like, um, I'm paraphrasing, um, darkness cannot drive out darkness. It has to be displaced with light. Um, getting angry about it, um, getting impatient with yourself, that's, that's not going to help anything. Or with those you, you love who are addicted, you have to displace darkness with light. And love. Yeah, exactly. The pure love of Christ, charity. Um, so, you know, just with all the resources we've provided here, hoping that it helps somebody to understand what will work, what will not work, um, giving you hope that you are not alone in this struggle. Um, resources, hopefully, that will give you the means. Um, one thing we, uh, there's not really any video I can pull up about this, but. Uh, one resource that I know worked for me really well that got me about 90% of the way there and then the Lord did the rest um, was Fight the New Drugs Fortify program. Uh, I tried ARP for a while from the church, the Addiction Recovery Program from the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. That, it, for some people that works, for me, it was Fortify program from Fight the New Drug. They have, oh my gosh, they've got webinars, they've got point systems, they've got like community chat rooms, they've got like the, the point system on there is especially cool because they've got like milestones. They've got one, one day, three days, seven days, like one, three, seven, 14, 15, 30, 60, 90, and then a year. Um, different milestones you can even track yourself. They've got like down to the like microsecond timers for how long you've been without pornography and such good stuff on there. You gotta check it out if you're really struggling and you've tried other avenues. If you haven't tried the Fortify program for Fight the New Drug, give it a shot. It worked for me really, really well. And that, again, that was after 20 freaking years of darkness and pain and loneliness. It, that, that program worked really well. 
Now he has light in his eyes. He's <laughs> focused on Christ. It's so just you, honey. Amazing. So, hopefully this works. Hopefully this helps somebody out there. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please go and give that follow link a click on paulpulsiver.podomatic.com. Written reviews, please, are also helpful on Facebook, Stitcher, or iTunes. Uh, if you log into your account on iTunes, just leave a review there. Um, from the goodness you may have found here, that would be quite helpful. Share this with your family and friends, all those who are struggling with some kind of sexual addiction, or even maybe those who you suspect say, hey, I heard this awesome podcast. Do you know anybody who could use it? For all you know, they could use it. You never know. So please take advantage of those. Hopefully this was really helpful to you. Uh, I invite people to listen to it. And uh, as always, remember to stand steadfastly in the freedom God gave us. Until next time, this is Paul Pulsifer. And Colette Pulsifer. Have a good one.